One of the things I appreciate about Garrett, I appreciate many, many things about Garrett, but Garrett has a daily routine that involves waking up, going onto Facebook, clicking the On This Day tab on Facebook, and deleting everything on it. So everything that happened on February 20, whatever it is, throughout Garrett's entire Facebook existence was deleted this morning, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Because he sent me a screenshot of something from his On This Day this morning. Um, and it's important to do that because the weird thing about y'all is one day you're going to have children and grandchildren. They'll be able to access what you did on Facebook when you were stupid and in seventh grade. And um, just let that sink in, friends, and use social media responsibly. Um, you may find out things about your parents or grandparents from time to time that really strike you as strange and surprise you and make you go like, I don't know if I know you anymore. Um, sometimes it's funny stuff. Sometimes, especially if you're white and live in the South and you find out things sometimes about your grandparents and the things that they think and ways that they maybe talked in the past that were a little bit more socially acceptable, it makes you surprised. Like, I, are you who I even thought that you were? And sometimes we come to places in the Bible whether you are a Christian person or not, and it's like one of those moments where you're like, what do I do with, I'm like, with God in the Old Testament just wiping out all kinds of people in judgment and wrath? And tonight, we are looking at this thing that happened in the Old Testament called the flood, and it is a time where God literally sent a flood on the earth, and destroyed every living thing on the earth except for one family and a bunch of animals that they brought on this ark. And um, just like when, when that thing happens with your grandparents and you sort of have to reevaluate your relationship with them and what you think about them, sometimes when we hear these things, it makes us wonder about who God really is and if he's someone that we can trust. And so then I think it's worth us uh, our time to investigate it. Tonight, And that's why you should pay attention to the reading of this uh, portion of God's word. This whole thing takes four chapters in the book of Genesis, and we're not going to read all that. So I chose just a few sections there in your handout, and I will read it with some velocity. <clears throat> Listen, this is the word uh, of the living God. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. And he gives some... Um, Measurements. 
down to verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Okay, so in between there. <laughs> Sorry. A huge flood happens in between there. Um, <laughs> that it covers the entirety of the earth and kills everything except for the people and the animals on this boat. That was a, a minor, uh, you know. Uh, just glossed over that. Um, in the sec- so so it, it, had, it had rained for 40 days and 40 nights, covered the earth. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is uh, with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Uh, And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud. It's a rainbow. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. Uh, I believe this is God's word for us, and so I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing uh, on our time. Father, we thank you um, that even when we don't quite understand what your word means, Um, initially, or we are confused about who you are and who we are, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you love us, and you promise to be with us by your Spirit. And so we do pray that you would come, Lord, um, that you would attend to our minds and our souls and our bodies, that we would hear your word and receive it as the word of life. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, hold in your mind this idea that God, that the earth had people on it and all kinds of animals and everything, and that God sent a flood of water to destroy all those people in a huge act of what you could only call, I guess, violence, to to destroy everyone except for this one family and the animals on the ark. And then I want you to hold in mind another portion of Scripture all the way from the New Testament in a book called 1 John, which is God is love. And try to hold those two things together. Okay, if God is love, how is that God also the one that just in one moment wipes out everybody on the earth? What I want us to see tonight, and the reason why I think this is important for us, is that 
God's judgment, the fact that God has judged and will judge people on the earth, does not invalidate his love. It doesn't, uh, we don't hold it in tension with his love and be like, well, that's not loving, but these other things are loving, and so we just kind of hold them in tension. We don't explain one away for the sake of the love part. Actually, God's judgment proves that he is actually love. Not just that he's loving, not that he just does loving things, but that he in his being is love embodied. And that God's judgment makes his love meaningful to us. And that his punishment of wickedness is not something to explain away, but something which in fact explains the world that we live in. Okay, so uh, that's a a big... um, it's a big promise, but I think, I think this text helps us with that. And as we jump in, I want us to, to look at two things to, to, to start. The first is an uncomfortable truth about ourselves that this passage shows us, or you, know, you could say an, an inconvenient truth uh, about ourselves. And then also a comforting truth about God. Okay? I want us to look at something that's uncomfortable that this passage says about us, something that's very comforting about God. Look there in, uh, in verse 6. This is maybe one of the hardest parts of this passage. Um, it says that God saw that the wickedness of, of people was great on the earth. This is verse 5. And that every intention of the thoughts of, of his heart, of man's heart, of humanity's heart, was only evil continually. This passage is saying that when God looks at human hearts, he sees that our intentions are always evil that our hearts are sort of permeated by evil, that they are wicked, and that they are violent. When you go down, he says, when he sees the earth, he sees that there is violence over the face of the earth, that our hearts are violent. And I think that in some ways we see that, and we reflexively understand that when we see something like what happened at Parkland, uh, in Parkland, Florida last week, when we see that there's, a, there's another shooting um, on campus. When we see things like, the mass incarceration, uh, especially of black men, we, re- we realize that this is wrong, this is not okay, this is some, in some way evil, and we reflexively know that. And when we see them on TV, um, or we look at them online, I think there's part of us that our reaction goes like, I should say something about that. Like, I want to say, I, I say that's wrong, and I want to like, have an answer for that. So we, we have this impulse maybe to post something on, on Twitter, or to share an article, like, okay, this article was really helpful for me on Facebook, I'm going to share it. Um, with other people. But what this passage is telling us is this, and I don't, I don't want to gloss this over because I want this to land on us, is that even our reflex to want to speak out against things that are obviously evil also in some way is laced with the same kind of evil. It's coming in some way from the same place. Um, I think even like as, a, as society... In the last couple hundred years, we've progressed a lot. Um, the access that we have to healthcare, like a couple hundred years ago, like if you got sick, I was like, sorry, you know, or you got injured, there was nothing that really anyone could do for you. But we've progressed really far in being able to like take care of our bodies and get better and to, and to, and to have health. Um, and people have access to that for the most part. And we have clean water, right? And in, in most, in a lot of places, especially in the Western world. Uh, and we live 
to a much greater degree of comfort than we did even a couple of hundred years ago. But our ability as a society to cause mass violence is way higher than it used to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, when we, even when we think, and this, I'm not making a statement, when we think about when the Constitution was written to talk about a firearm, what a firearm was, and what a firearm is now, is pretty different in terms of what it can possibly inflict on the earth. And the point being, even as we have progressed in so many ways, along, running along with that has become a greater capacity for destruction and for violence and death. And that's because what the Bible says right here in this passage is the same thing that it says in a place like Jeremiah 17 in the Old Testament, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is desperately sick. Now, what the Bible isn't saying is is that we are as bad as we could possibly be. It's not saying that. If if we were as bad as we could possibly be, there would be a mass shooting at, well, I guess there in America, there, in some ways, there is a mass shooting every day. Um, maybe there would be a mass shooting all throughout the world in the other countries where there aren't mass shootings um, every day like there is here. But we're not as bad as we could possibly be. Um, that, but what it's saying is that every part of us is affected by sin. Okay? We're not as bad as we could possibly be, but every part of us is affected by sin. Sin affects how we think, how we process information, how we feel, a sense in our gut of what is right and wrong. Sin affects that. It's in there. Our ability to even logically think, the Bible says, is affected by violence and destruction. Have you ever stolen something from the self-checkout of the grocery store? I had not ever thought how easy it would be to steal something. You can swipe a banana and then put a steak in. I didn't think about that, you know, like... uh, (laughs) You know, because if they weigh around the same amount, you can put it in there. I didn't think about that. I was reading a a survey, I mean, a a study the other day that they surveyed thousands of people and over 20% of people admitted to, which means that that number is low, more people must do it if 20% admitted, to not paying for everything in the self-checkout. That 20% of people... Like, just don't pay for everything in the, in the self-checkout. This one guy said, anyone who pays for more than half their stuff in the self-checkout is a total moron. Um, and that's because at the self-checkout, we perceive that some kind of accountability is missing because there's no one standing there watching what we do. The reason mostly the Bible would say, well, we don't do the things that we want to do is because there's some degree of accountability. It would go against our self-preservation, right? We would get caught. We don't want to get caught, right? The uncomfortable truth that the Bible tells us here is that our hearts are evil continually. But there's a comforting truth about God that goes with that. And look at verse 6. This is, this is probably the hardest part. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. God looks on the earth, and he sees the violence and the the evil in our hearts, and it makes him grieve the fact that he created people in the first place. The crown jewel of his creation, he says, that hurts my heart. In some way, he was sorry that he had made the world. And here's why that is good news for you. 
It means that God really meaningfully cares about what is going on in your life. To a degree that what we do can grieve God as a person. Think about the people that you're able to grieve the most with your action. Are they not the people that care the most for you? When I was in college, I had a friend. It sounds really dramatic now. But uh, he was dating this girl. They didn't even date very well. I don't even know if they even dated. But she was like, I'm not interested. And we hung out and, you know, had a couple beers. And he (laughs) got very upset. And he just said to me over and over again, like, she has my heart, Chris. She has my heart. And I, I mean, I felt awful for him. Um, but I don't know that she did have his heart. He's doing okay now. But, um, but that's a silly example. But did you know that, like, that you have God's heart? Like that what you do and what you think and what's going on inside of you affects God in a way that it grieves him. That you have his heart. And that's good news because we don't so much fear judgment as much as we fear not ever being noticed, right? Uh, We're not afraid that someone is going to not like us. What we're going to afraid is that no one's going to even think to like us or dislike us, right? So we'll say anything, wear anything, as long as people take notice that we exist. Uh, I, I saw someone recently ask on Facebook, if a clone was created that only reflected your social media presence, what would it be like? Which is a terrifying question for everyone in this room. I, can, I don't know what it would be like for you. I can say almost certainly that it would probably be pretty needy for attention. I think that would be a pretty fair statement to make. Um, we, what we learn from God's grief and anger over sin is how much we as people affect him as a person. How much he cares, how much in, in the game he is. He is personally involved in your life. He is nearer to you than your own soul. And he really cares. And some of you guys are like me. And you, you have a sense that one or more of your parents does not care. Like they just, you're just irrelevant to them in some way. God cares deeply. So... How does a God who loves humanity and creation so much that he expresses that it hurts him and grieves him in his soul and in his heart, how does he deal with that thing being so messed up? Um, Well, think about it. How would you deal with something that you loved that was broken and not functioning properly? He remakes the world. Um, And that's exactly what God is doing in this flood. And it's exactly what he does in your life. Is that he remakes the thing that he loves that is broken. Uh, The first thing he does is that he unmakes us. He, in a sense, decreates us. We didn't read all the stuff with the flood. But basically what happens is that God opens up the heavens, opens up just the storehouses of water on the earth, and it all comes pouring out. And the entirety of the earth is covered with water. And what we're supposed to get from that is if you read a few chapters before, you were here when we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and was void. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That when God created the earth, there was no dry land. It was just water and it was chaotic. And God is taking the earth back to that place. 
The dry land disappears and God uncreates the, the world. He starts over in a sense and kills every living thing on the earth except for what is in the ark. And that is not an evil act by God. God is able to judge the earth because he is free from sin. He has um, a totally objective view of the earth. And he created the earth and created us and it belongs to him. Therefore, he is free to unmake it. And he is free to unmake us. And what it looks like practically for God to unmake us is that God allows us to become uncomfortable with ourselves as we are. Not in the sense that we become full of shame or think there's something wrong with having a body or something wrong with the way I look or something wrong with the way my personality is, but, but God makes, lets us feel the chaos of our own hearts, that in a sense they are formless and void and wild and violent. When God begins a work in your life, he allows you to be unmade in that way to feel the chaos A a, a moment happens where you go, there were things that I felt like were okay and logically I was fine with, but I just can't do them anymore. They feel like destruction to me. And what I want us to take from that isn't um, that you should feel worthless. I think sometimes when people talk about this, they give the sense that you should feel worthless before God. Very much the opposite. Um, when I got my first car when I was 16, it was a 1992 Ford Probe, uh, which is a really unfortunate name for a car. And um, it was midnight blue, which meant it was purple with the glitter paint. And, um, <laughs> and it broke down on the side of the road because apparently cars have to have oil in order to function properly. And, um, but it meant very little to me. It was very little value to me. So I just sold it for cheap and bought something new. I didn't, I didn't really care about that. I currently drive a 2008 Honda Odyssey van, also dark blue. Um, the paint is peeling. It's not like flashy by any stretch of the imagination, okay? The doors don't work great all the time. Um, we climb in the front a lot of the time. Um, but it is very valuable to my family. It gets us where we need to go. That's part of our life is done in that van. And if something's wrong with it, I want to know. Because I want to fix it. I want to know what is broken with my car so that it can be repaired. And because God loves you, he will allow you to feel what is broken with you. Because he intends to fix it. And my challenge for you, if you're feeling that right now, is not to shy away from it. Don't just pretend like it's not there. Uh, There's this guy, he's a pastor in New York, his name's Tim Keller, and he wrote a book called Prodigal God, which is on the book table. And you should check it out. And uh, he said this, he said, when a newspaper posed the question, what's wrong with the world? The Catholic thinker G.K. Chesterton reportedly wrote a brief letter in response that said, dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Okay. Newspaper said, what's wrong with the world? You write in and tell us what's wrong. And G.K. Chesterton wrote in and said, dear sirs, I am. Have a nice day. Um, And Keller says, that is the attitude of someone who has grasped the message of Jesus. Uh, to put it in modern parlance, and everything in me wants to just like say the, you know, say the lyrics, but you know, it's a family environment. Um, Kendrick Lamar puts this in like modern <laughs> terms. 
Um, when, when he says, like, he says, he says, I'm effed up, you're effed up, but if God's got us, then we're going to be all right, right? That is the same thing as Kendrick, I'm not kidding, Kendrick recognizing I'm not okay. There's something that is messed up within me, and there's something that's messed up with you, but that God somehow is at work in us. A person that recognizes what God is doing in their life feels their own chaos of their own heart. And that's why comparing yourselves to other people to feel better about yourself is totally natural, totally comes normal, not shaming you for it, but it destroys God's work in your life. It is the thing that you can do that will most instantly unravel the things that God is doing in your life. To say, like, I may be messed up, but I'm not as messed up as that, that person robs us as the oppor- from, from the opportunity to see ourselves as we are, which is helpless and hopeless without God. It, it, it deprives us of the sense of knowing what's broken with us so that it can be fixed. My wife always tells our kids, because they love to compare, that comparison is the thief of joy. And it absolutely is. It will destroy any joy that you had, and it will destroy any chance you have of growing. Um, boy, she right. Because, look, for those of you, for those of us that are willing to own our sin, to see it for what it is, to say my heart is desperately sick, to look into the flood, there is a promise. And the promise is here at the end of the passage. I won't read through it, but God promised Noah that he would never flood the earth again after he did it. After the, the water subsided and all the animals and Noah's family came out of the ark. He said, I'm never going to flood the earth again and I'm going to give you a sign. And this is the sign. It's the rainbow that you see in the sky when it's rained. It's the sign, not just to you that I will never flood the earth again, but when I, when I, God, see it, I will remember the promise that I made to never flood the earth again. And God made that promise at a tremendous cost to himself. My daughter's storybook Bible says that when God put that bow in the sky, it's a hunter's bow, right? If you think about what a rainbow is. It's a hunter's bow that's pulled tight, but it's not pointed at the earth. It's pointed up into the heart of heaven. Because if you come to know Jesus, you will not be judged by the flood of God's wrath because Jesus has been judged by the flood of God's wrath for you. At the cross, the flood and chaos of our sin overwhelmed Jesus and he was carried off by it. He took our sin on himself. He took the arrow into his heart. When, um, a few years ago, when my oldest daughter was like two, my wife was pregnant, and we were at the beach, and it was pretty rough weather. And Sarah Jane said, be careful. You know, it feels like it's kind of a riptide. I'm like, riptides, those things don't exist. And uh, <laughs> like, whatever, I got it. Um, and I'm holding my little daughter, right? And uh, so I step out there, and I get about waist deep, and lo and behold, she is right about life. And... Uh, <laughs> And I get taken off my feet by this riptide. I'm holding a child, okay? And I go under the water, totally under, under the water. And I become overcome by the water. I have no control of what's going on in the water. I have two options. I can either let go of Georgia and get myself up, or, well, this is what I did, I just stuck my arms up out of the water. (laughs) And I'm just like being thrashed around all over the bottom of the water, you know, like I'm going to die. And I'm holding Georgia. And after a while, my wife saw what came and she came and she took Georgia from me and I was able to get up. 
it was really scary. Um, and afterward, I said to my wife, like, I'm really sorry. You, you were totally right about that. But that, in a sense, is what Jesus does for us. When it, when it comes to the flood is going to take over one of us, he takes that flood over himself to hold us out. Think about what the ark is that's floating on top of the, of the, of the water. It's God holding humanity out in all of our sinfulness. It's not like Noah and his family weren't sinful. He preserves sinful hearts on the ark because he loves us. Um, and so that's when, so in Isaiah, when the prophet Isaiah says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you and the waves will not overcome you. Do not fear. You don't have to fear the flood of life or death or God's wrath because Jesus has been overwhelmed by that flood water. When I was a kid, I went snorkeling and I hate the ocean. I hate it. And um, it's scary. And I went out with this family. I was like nine. And we went out where you couldn't see the land. And it creeped me out. And then they all got out of the boat. And they were like swimming around. I was like, it's deep. Y'all, you know. Um, and uh, we can't see the land. And then I felt like, you know, lame. So I got out. And I was like, oh, this isn't bad. And then the, my other friend handed me a mask. You know, like a snorkeling mask. And I put it on and I looked into the water. And it was terrifying because it goes all the way down. And all I could do was get back on the boat as immediately as possible. And there's a sense that when God lets us look down into the flood that is our heart, it enables us to flee to the ship, right? And, and that ark is Jesus. And this is the last thing I want to I say. God unmakes us, and I'm, I'm going a little long, so I'll bring this down for landing. But God doesn't just unmake us, God remakes us. And this is the best news, I think, that, that you're going to hear. God remakes us in his love. God has the water subside. The dry land reappears. God remakes the earth. He recreates the earth. And he tells Noah and his family and all the animals, he says what he told Adam and Eve in the very beginning. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He creates the world again. And that is God's will for you. If you're here and you're that person that's like, what's God's will for my life? God's will for you is to be a new creation. To have a new heart. In the Old Testament, a guy named David, who did really legitimately bad stuff. Not like, you know, he sinned in his heart. Like, really, like, killed people, sexual assault, bad stuff. And he prayed to God, and what he said was, create in me a clean heart. Not fix my heart, create a clean heart in me, O God. And that's our cry. Um, When we come to God and we're overwhelmed by what's in us, we come to God and say, create in me a clean heart. And then he says to us, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And wouldn't you like a new heart? A new heart that's free to choose the good thing? God does that in us, and I hear it. Just this week, I had a conversation with one of you, and it was a great conversation, and I'll treasure it forever, because I was like, so what's going on with God? And the person I was talking to was like, I used to not want to sing loudly, and now we go to Aria, I want to sing the songs loudly. And that's weird, it's freaking me out. And he's like, uh, and when I get up in the morning, I make my bed. And then I kneel down by the bed and I start praying. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is super weird, you know? <laughs> and that's because God has created a new heart in him and is making him a new creation. Just like Noah, because of the faithfulness of one person, 
and his obedience, Noah's obedience, his family, and all the animals are brought in. Because of Jesus' obedience and his faithfulness, he brings us through to a new creation. The one person that was ever good is Jesus, and he brings us with him. Um, and just to give you something to, to close on in your mind, to hold this on to, my girls have magnet tiles. They're awesome. They're like these little plastic things with magnets on the end. You can build huge structures out of them. And they're amazing at building these things. It blows my mind. I tried to stay up one night for hours, and I couldn't build things as cool as them. And they will build these beautiful, amazing structures. There's like, there's like stuffed animals inside you know, that you can't get to except for this one like latch opens up. And our three-year-old comes along and is a destroyer of worlds. And <laughs> she smashes them all down to the ground. And it grieves them. It hurts them. Um, that this has been crushed, just like it, it grieves God that his creation has been, in some ways, destroyed. But what my girls do is they, they grieve that, and then they take them apart. And then, piece by piece, in their love for this creation, they build it back together. And wouldn't you love for God to make you a new creation? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much um, for the time to be able to speak to these guys Um, and girls, and um, thank you that you make us new, that you're making everything new. Uh, Lord, teach us to long for that, um, that we would rejoice in our hearts for when you say, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.